Welcome back to the Kelly Mental Health Podcast, located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. In today's episode titled, Life, During and After Addiction, we sat down with the lovely Mandy Hotchins, who is currently an administrative assistant for a local mental health organization. Through her strength, adversity, and so much more, she was able to remove herself from under rock bottom, and she climbed straight to the top. So please sit back, relax, and have a listen to today's episode. Uh, Well, obviously, welcome, uh, Mandy, and welcome everyone back to the Kelly Mental Health Podcast. Um, I'm kind of excited about this episode, and we're going to dive right in. But again, thank you for joining us. I think we're on episode 10 or 11. I, I, you know, I can't keep up. We got lots of episodes coming in and out and uh, lots of uh, great topics coming your way. So we're really excited today to get this one started. So um, Mandy, we would like to introduce, obviously, the lovely Mandy. Mandy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Who are you, Mandy? (laughs) I am an administrative assistant at a mental health clinic. Um really don't know what else to say <laughs> <laughs> well that's the obviously is that exactly what you said you are administrative um, for a mental health clinic uh, Maddie Hodgins has gone through uh, quite a bit and so today we're going to be discussing life after addiction and I guess maybe even kind of during addiction and then the I guess where you are now and how everything kind of happens so um, would you like to start us off by kind of discussing a little bit about it um, so about seven years ago, I went through a bout of addiction um, that was really fueled by a number of things. Um, my family really had no idea. I tried to kind of hide it from everybody, and my life kind of just spiraled out of control in such a short time. Wow. So when you kind of mentioned spiraled, so what is that... Uh... Uh, can you do want to discuss a little bit more about that and we do use that yeah. term a whole lot spiraling and yeah. it can mean a lot of different things for Cassandra spiraling is freaking out <laughs> yeah yeah spiraling for me means freaking out anxiety it's like my day-to-day base right now <laughs> yeah so it was just kind of like my life was crumbling I had never really struggled with depression before um, I've always had some issues with anxiety um, because I have um, obsessive compulsive disorder but I got really depressed near the end of it where I felt like suicidal and I had never had thoughts like that before and it really just like triggered me to be like I need to get sober I need to do this for myself it was really something that no one else could tell me to do it was that was my breaking point yeah kind of a lot of people like kind of form like they classify it as like their rock bottom almost right so that sounds like you kind of got to that point in your life where you just you just didn't want to live this type of life anymore yeah mm-hmm. in in the article that uh you guys will see um next next week um or i guess this week because we're going to be airing this um you kind of go into further details about you know not like the, the, i guess the, the stereotypical um, vision of an addict, right? So let's kind of discuss a little bit more about that. And I guess, I guess in a sense, it's like, 
a lot of people have like a stigma towards addicts and what they look like. And you, in your article, you kind of discussed that you didn't look like that. You know what I mean? So uh, what are some things that you've kind of heard that people look like? And, um, and yeah. I mean, I really think people have this like common misconception that like addicts are homeless or they're not functioning. They don't realize that even like there's functional alcoholics, people that you see working places every day. Um, I really think that people just, (laughs) sorry, my brain's not working. I really think that people just have this like stereotypical idea that like you have to be really like down on your luck or going through something horrible or whatever. Like they don't realize that addiction can affect everybody. Like no matter if you're in poverty or if you grew up in a good home, like it's Mm -hmm. not always contributing factors like that. Yeah. I think that's a really good like um, point to make though, Mandy. And like, obviously Linda, for yourself like you with with counseling and stuff um obviously you can kind of touch on that as well like there's not i i don't i don't like hearing about like about the stereotypical you know addict and stuff like can you you see them portrayed in movies and film and all that kind of you know and it's so not true like maddie you make a really good point about you know there's a lot of functioning addicts and some we, we wouldn't even know are struggling right yeah so in the article you kind of talk about how, you know, years later, you're finding, like, you find yourself and, you know, what, what kind of got you to that point? Obviously, you mentioned, you know, you kind of, you decided on your own. So what steps, I guess, did you take to get to where you are today? So when I ultimately decided to get sober, I actually had to leave my hometown. I quit my job. It was like a snap decision. I was just like, I have to do this. I have to get out of here. Like, I'm never going to succeed if I keep um, staying around all the people that I know, like all the people that are still in that cycle Mm -hmm. of addiction. Like, because unfortunately, when you decide to stop using or get sober, if you're still friends with those people, or you're still in very close contact with people who are using, Mm -hmm. you're going to fall back in that cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I just left. I had no plan. I had no money. I was fortunate enough to have some support from family, even though they didn't really know what I was struggling with. Mm-hmm. I think it was apparent that I was going through something and I needed to get away. Yeah. How did I you, think, uh, Mandy, how oh, did you sorry. manage to uh, sort of keep all that from the people around you, you know, like, like parents? Well, I think that my parents had some kind of like inkling that something was going on with me, but they're not very like communicative people. So (laughs) they never asked me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it's a little bit easier to, uh, to kind of keep it to yourself. And um, I mean, would you say that you were still somewhat functional while this was going on? Like you've mentioned, people can be functional alcoholics, people can be functional drug users. Would you say that you were like that? Yeah, I held down a job um, for the most part until like, I felt like my mental health had started deteriorating. And then I was missing work. And I didn't have a valid excuse, really. So I just felt like, completely fed up with everything. And I was like, this is it for me. So I did manage to function for a little while, at least. And then I wasn't able to. 
And you, you mentioned about like how your parents didn't ask questions and stuff like that. So obviously now though, where you're at in your life and you're able to sit, obviously, again, thank you very much for, for joining us to discuss the sensitive topic, but so you're able to sit here and discuss this now. So obviously your parents are made, like, are, are they, they, they're made aware that you went through this and how did they kind of react? Like how did the people around you, not just your parents, but how did, you know, your loved ones react when, when this kind of came out to them? So um, I actually have some close family members who have also struggled with addiction, who kept it a secret for very long. And I don't know how, because it seemed very obvious to me, but (laughs) I was also kind of in the same cycle at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, my parents were really supportive when all of it came to light. Um, I mean, like I said, they really don't communicate that well. So it's never been like a big issue. It was kind of just something that was acknowledged and then moved on from and swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. Wow. That must have been kind of tough, too, in a sense, right? So um, did you like what are some kind of coping skills? Like what was your like, how did this all kind of work? So once you realized, so you stated, you know, you like you hit your rock bottom, you lost everything. You got out of you. You personally broke your vicious cycle when you realized, which is really huge. Um, you know, a lot of people I don't think realize that they're in a vicious cycle. So the fact that you did that is absolutely amazing. So you broke your vicious cycle. You got out of you know your hometown and you left. So once you kind of got a handle on things, started getting a handle on things. What are some things that you use to get to this you know newfound point? I know it seems counterproductive, but I read a lot about like what your body goes through when you are like withdrawing from a substance or like detoxing or whatever you want to call it. Um, And learning about like the ups and downs, like emotional, physical, all of the things that your body goes through. Mm -hmm. It really helped me like realize like this is normal and it's not going to last forever. And I just really pushed myself emotionally. Like I can do this. I will get through this. You know, this is only a small chapter in my life. Like this is not the whole story. That's really inspiring. Like honestly, that that actually hits home for me because it's so true. I feel like, a lot of personally, I feel like a lot of people when they're going through really tough times, it just feels like it's never ending, right? So for yeah. you to be able to especially go through this and push through and say, this is just a chapter and just keep reminding yourself that to get to where you are today, I think that that is so amazing. And again, deserves a credit. Congratulations. So absolutely. Well, thank you. I want to jump in there if it's okay, Mandy. There's There's sometimes a lot of stories about what it's like when you are going through an addiction, you know, to the point that people will, you know, they'll rob things from their own parents to be able to feed the addiction. You know, the, the pull is so strong. And I'm wondering if you can describe what that's like to have that pull, what that was like for you. It really feels like, honestly, the only way that I can describe it is feeling desperate. Like you feel like you have no other options um, and you're really not thinking about how like how you feel is going to affect other people. And sometimes you don't even realize that after it happens, like I pretty much sold everything I owned to fund my addiction. I borrowed money off my parents. I never stole from them and I 
consider myself lucky that I never hit that point of like desperation that I did do that to my family but I do know that it happens and I think often when it does happen to people they take it very personally and it's not a personal thing um it just seems like a like a desperate need to get your fix and you really don't care where that money comes from or how you get it Mm-hmm. that's just it for you mm-hmm. it a lot of times in in trauma work we talk about how you know the more hurt you are the more vulnerable you are the bigger that pain is the less we're actually capable of thinking about other people or putting ourselves like our, our it's a survival mechanism our brain is in such distress that you know our only option is to relieve that distress that's why I mean I think it's so difficult to pull away from an addiction once you're in it yeah I definitely struggled with not relapsing because I would go through I would go through something traumatic or something very stressful and my first thought would be I want to get high Mm -hmm. but I had learned a lot of things actually in cognitive behavioral therapy that I could just like sit and be with myself and say, you know, this will pass. Like mm-hmm. with the uh, CBT, um, a lot of times it really focuses on the distortions, like, you know, identifying the unhelpful or self-critical thoughts that are fueling these feelings um, do you recall anything from CBT that really stood out for you in terms of like thinking about things in a new way? Yeah. So, um, one thing my psychologist did tell me about like intrusive thoughts or things that I didn't want to think about, um, was to just let that thought happen and just let it pass by and out of your mind. And for me, that was really helpful because I tend to focus on those things and then it just kind of like comes back threefold and then I can't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a huge one. I, I, I like that, that idea. And sometimes we'll talk about it and, you know, trying to give people a real visual, like, you know, all of these thoughts are like cars going by on the road. You don't have to get in each car, but you don't also have to yeah. stop the car from going by. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when one thing that was mentioned as well, um, Cassandra, you mentioned just how basically if you want to stop doing an unhealthy behavior, you're not only risking your coping skill, but you're also risking and probably having to give up all the people, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, all the people that you're close with, like an entire lifestyle. Um, Curious, Mandy, what that, you know, what that is like for a person in that situation. And, you know, what kind of thoughts or fears you might have around that? I definitely lost a lot of friends when I decided to get clean. But in my instance, like I didn't live in my hometown anymore. So I really didn't know anybody um, like to begin with out there. So that made it a little bit easier for me. But it definitely feels lonely even now. Like it's been about seven years just about. And I still don't have those friends that I did all that time ago. And I used to really value that friendship and I missed it. But as I get more aware of the things that I went through as an addict, I realized that they weren't real and true friendships, that it was basically just somebody to get high with Mm -hmm. and that they didn't care about anything going on in my life. That's all they wanted. 
What, what do you think about how there's usually like there's this theory and I have seen this theory um, sort of prove true a lot of times just in all the people that I talk to is that um, some people will will get addicted and others won't. And sometimes trauma is, you know, the deciding factor. If they have been traumatized, they tend to they tend to be more susceptible to addiction. But I mean, what are your thoughts yeah. about that? Do you think that that's true or is that really off? I think it can be true in some instances. It really depends on your coping skills and how self-aware you are of things that you're going through. Like for me, if I'm having a panic attack, I know that's what's happening. But for someone else experiencing it, they may not know. So I really think that it depends on how people deal with their issues or traumas. Um, that's really all I can say about mm-hmm. that. I think right. that I think that could be like up for debate because that's something. It's really hard, right? Like you can't really pinpoint it out. I, I I personally know of someone who I went to high school with, and she had an amazing life, um, great family life. I was close with her. Um, you know, she didn't. At like to this day there was no known traumas that she faced in her life. And unfortunately, you know, she, it was just the wrong kind of crowd. It started with something small. And the next thing, you know, it turned it into, it turned into something bigger and she went down a really bad path with addiction. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's hard to say and kind of, I like debunking myths about, addiction and you know depression and all that kind of stuff like as as you guys can see on social media so that's actually (laughs) one of my posts next week is like it like addiction is not and then it always says like it actually says always a result of trauma (laughs) so yeah it's hard it's hard to really kind of you can't really decide that right Mm -hmm. well and what what can be determined as traumatic to one person may not be traumatic to every other person yeah exactly everyone's traumas (laughs) are different too Mm mm-hmm um, Mandy, you mentioned that you learned a whole lot about what it does to the body. Um, what kinds of things really, really affected you? Like the things that you did learn about the effect on the body. So in my experience with opiates, um, the first part that I really felt was like the physical effects, which it really varies between person to person, but I had like body aches and headaches and nausea and I just all around felt really awful. And knowing that that can last like a couple of days or a couple of weeks, like it really gave me like a timeline on like, okay, if I can make it one week feeling like this, I can make it two weeks and then I can make it three weeks and then it'll go away. Like that was really helpful for me. Yeah, personally, I I mean, I've never had to sort of come down off of anything. So, I mean, obviously, we see a lot in the movies, we see a lot portrayed to people describe what their experiences are like, but we just, I think we never know what that's going to be like until we feel it. And, and I can't imagine the desperation one would feel when you're feeling so awful. And you know that, you know, with this one pill or this one hit, it'll go away. Yeah. And I think that's a huge reason that people have a dependency or an addiction. It's not that they're getting high anymore. It's that they just don't want to deal with the after effects of coming down. Mm -hmm. 
That's awful. And then the other thing too, I noticed will discourage people. And I'm not sure if this is true for you is, you know, when the people that do support them, like say the non-users say like our parents or something like that, when they are um, critical towards them, and then you're already going yeah. through these feelings of withdrawal and you feel alienated from those people that want you to stop using, it can be completely defeating and, and lead to such a, you know, such a terrible relapse. Cause it's like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just think, seems to uh, snowball. Right. I think that speaks to like a lot of volumes, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, my throat, my apologies. Um, but I think that's, that speaks to a lot of different scenarios, like I have a family member who does not ex- like, like understand anxiety. And every single time if she's calling and I speak with her and she always tells me, oh, just calm down, just relax. <clears throat> so it's really <laughs> never tried that before. <laughs> yeah, literally. So I think it's really difficult. I honestly wish like someone, Linda, I'm putting this on your to-do list. You need to make like, a, <laughs> like an actual book, like little pamphlet book doesn't have to be, you know, like 30 pages, just like 10 pages, how to talk to people with anxiety, addiction, depression. Like, I honestly, like, I need you to do this because I would just start handing these out like, like nothing. It's getting mm. to the point because people, it come, like for me, in my specific, you know, friends and family, uh, it comes down to the lack of education. So, and I've learned that. So I don't, I'm not, I don't hold I used to hold them up to like a higher standards and I would expect more, but it's, it's also their age too. They just don't understand it. Like her, her thing that she says all the time is, Oh, we didn't have any of this anxiety and, and, and depression and, you know, addiction back in the day. It's like, yes, Mm -hmm. you did. But I think now it's more talked about. Right. Mm -hmm. The only thing is it would be really difficult to get people to buy into, you know, the wanting to speak gently to these people that are going through a tough time. I mean, I'd have to name it something like how to make Generation Snowflake man up. Well, you know what? I'd still buy it. <laughs> like, I, I just so this is going. Our, our podcast now is all over the world, even in Italy. So, if someone from Italy hears this and would like to invest, we will make this happen for you, and we will get this shipped out because this needs to happen. I'm not kidding, and I don't mean to make like jokes in light of the situation, Mandy. I'm you have gone through hell and back, and I respect you. I have the utmost respect for you, and I'm so I'm truly proud of you, and I love the person that you are. So I do not mean to make light of this. I just wish that there was like a manual that we can hand out to people because they don't realize how much it affects people. Like even last week, something was said to me about that. And it's just, it's, it's difficult. Like when you're in your, I, my, my, my idea of spiral, you know, when you're in that spiral and you have this person who loves you on the other end of, of the spectrum, you know, loves you, cares so much about you, and then is telling you all the things you just don't want to hear that are making it worse, it's very difficult. So, yeah, I just, I don't know, maybe that's going to be my next job, investing <laughs> into <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's definitely been such a tough love approach for a very mm-hmm. long time. Um, you know, almost like, like the idea of validating people that are going through a hard time will make them you know, weaker or something along those lines, like it'll just sort of reinforce almost like it's a decision. It's a decision to go and abuse drugs or, 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 you know, develop an addiction. Oh, and then on that note too, you know, Mandy, you must hear such awful things said about people that have addictions. 
It's definitely true. And again, like there's such a big misconception that people don't realize that it's not just people who are down on their luck or who are struggling like with their mental health, even like there are people who come from Mm -hmm. good homes that end up addicts. And I just, I don't really understand the stigma having gone through it myself. And like Cassandra said, with anxiety, like, I really feel like it's something that you can't really Mm -hmm. understand until you've gone through it. And Mm -hmm. people's anxieties are different too, right? And that's the thing. Yeah. Trying to explain it to someone is, I I honestly, it's on my my top five most difficult things to explain. So um, actually, Linda, you, we kind of, I think we lost you there for, for a second earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were actually talking about, you know, you know being underweight um you know that type of addict so I was actually asking you so in your in your therapy sessions like have you seen or heard have you has anyone that you know kind of um you know been struggling with that as well like do you do you counsel people that have addictions and do they are are they like the stereotypical people or I was just kind of curious well I mean there's definitely a range I I recognize Mm -hmm. like you said that when someone sits across from me I'm not going to be able to tell right off the bat in fact part Mm -hmm. of our clinical interview is to ask about substance abuse and it's it's like hit hit or miss um Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people that will develop addictions to opiates because they went in for surgery or they had back pain or they had something they got, you know, it prescribed and there they went. It is so incredibly Mm -hmm. addictive. It is, it creates such changes in the brain that all of a sudden, you know, your life is falling apart without it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I definitely see a lot of people struggling with alcohol addiction because it can be part of the culture. My partner's family um you know drinking is the way of life it's like we go to camp they drink they have dinner they're into a few bottles of wine my family they've had Uh the same liquor cabinet stocked since i was in grade six i mean the vodka turns to ice because i watered it down so much (laughs) (laughs) Touche. so you know there's there's often you never know who's struggling because a lot of people are very, very good at faking it. And hey, some of the most interesting people I know either have had addictions or are struggling with an addiction. Mm-hmm. I think that that goes into like the next the next kind of topic that we always kind of trail back to is just remembering to be kind to people, right? You don't know what other people are going through. You have absolutely no idea. We can all look completely whole and put together, but on the inside, we can be completely broken and trying to work on ourselves and make ourselves better, right? So I think the biggest thing that I, we always somehow come back to is just be kind. Mm-hmm. Well, and in that in that same breath, Mandy, I'm really curious as someone that has been there and back again, I mean, if there are family members or friends of people that are struggling, what do you think they need to do? Like, what is an effective way for them to help? I really like truly believe that someone can't um, get sober or get clean or whatever you want to call it until they are in the mindset that I need to do this. Because if you try and force someone to stop using or you tell them like, you know, you need to do this or I'm not going to be in your life. Like they don't know generally how to handle that. And unless you're making the decision for yourself, Mm -hmm. 
it's not going to happen. And I feel like, you know, people get frustrated with their family members or partners or even friends, like when they say like, you need to get sober and they just don't do it. And they take it personally, like, you know, it's just a split decision that somebody could make Mm -hmm. and it's not. Right. And do you think that there's anything that can, that can be said to sort of you know, force that realization or, or speed it up before everything is lost? I really think that counseling can be effective, like to help build the strength to like stop using or even trying to make like a safety plan with someone, even a professional or a friend, like making goals to, you know, if you say like, I'm going to use half as much by six weeks from now, or something that's sort of realistic, but not scary to the addict. Mm -hmm. Because quitting cold turkey is something that absolutely nobody wants to do. And it it can be very dangerous too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people can feel ashamed even seeking help. Like, they don't want to go to a detox center or they don't want to go to group meetings because it's very impersonal. And a lot of people want to hide their addiction because they are, they feel ashamed of themselves because society has this idea that everyone who's an addict, you know, they're, they're worthless or they're not as good of a human as someone who does not have substance abuse issues or addiction issues. Mm-hmm. I, I could see that actually with someone, someone that actually develops an addiction and then not wanting to go to the groups feeling like, well, I'm not that addict. I'm not like them. Yeah. <laughs> and that could be really difficult. It's a, a lot of barriers will pop up that don't really need to be there. Yeah. And a lot of people feel like they're in denial, mm-hmm. right? I don't need help. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't spend all my money on it right now, so I'm good. And unfortunately, it just keeps going downhill until you get to that point and you hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And one thing I think is is a big misconception is that it's like a personal failure or it's a character flaw. And people, you know, really, it helps a lot of people in therapy sessions when I remind them, these are substances that are specifically formulated to interfere with your ability to to stop Mm -hmm. yeah you make a really good point it's very true so that's how they get you in a sense right Mm -hmm. and i would just like to make note that we did not pay mandy to say to go to counseling (laughs) so (laughs) i just wanted to toss that out there (laughs) like we did not pay you to say that (laughs) i am a firm believer that counseling can help everyone it really helped me um like I was going through a lot of stuff with an abusive ex-partner and it wasn't until I went to therapy that I realized that this person was abusive. Mm. So I think that it can really open people's eyes like and give them the support that they need to even get some courage to do the thing that they need to do. Yeah. Almost like offer you different, different like, you know, mechanisms, like some things, exactly what you said, like open their eyes. Cause I think a lot of people sometimes don't realize it. Right. So having like that unbiased opinion sitting across from you or, you know, on, on the telephone or internet, whatever the case may be having, you know, that person and just like an unbiased opinion, just, they make you look at it a certain, like a different way. So I completely agree with you. Mm-hmm. I just I just figured I'd make note of that. So, um, <laughs> well, yeah. and, uh, your, your final thoughts of uh, of this podcast? Well, 
that's a tough one. There's so much to say, but I think one thing that Mandy has really helped to do is to shed light on what it's like uh, to have a personal experience with addiction, what it's like to come back from it. And I am so, so appreciative of, you know, your vulnerability and just the raw way that you are telling your story. And in the article that you wrote completely unprompted, um, I think that just people like you that are sharing your stories and normalizing this is going to go a long way in taking away shame. And if we get rid of shame as a barrier, more people will be healthy, more people will be supportive, you know, we'll have a healthier society. So it's thanks to people like you that are willing to do this. And I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. Linda always comes comes at the end with her great final thoughts, and I truly do appreciate it. It gives us all something to think about for the rest of the day. So, as always, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, this was definitely exactly what Linda said a vulnerable topic, and uh, it, it was difficult. So, again, I, I really do appreciate Mandy as well. Um, we have tons of resources available on our website. You can visit us at www.kellymentalhealth.com. Um, one of our counselors right now, her name is Kristen Solomon. She is absolutely amazing. She actually, this is her area of like, this is one of her specialties. She has over 10 years of experience dealing with, uh, addictions, substance abuse, trauma, you name it, addiction, or she has dealt with it. Um, and she really listens to you. So if you guys are interested, please contact her. We also have other therapists that are definitely there to help you. So give us a call locally here, 807-767-3888. And again, we will talk to you guys next week. So thank you guys so much.